Earlier this week, I was reading a Musar rabbi, Eliyahu Dessler, and one of the things he said was, God's light is cast abroad and available to all, but men live in darkened rooms with the shades drawn down. And then I read today's gospel reading, and Yeshua is talking about the light came into the world, but you tell me something three or four times, I catch right on. So I sort of expected that this is what I should be talking about. And then I read a Mormon guy that I read, talked to you about him before. He's a Brit, life pattern very much like C.S. Lewis, came to faith late in life, and where he sort of fetched up is intellectual Mormonism. But he says that the gospel is largely ineffective in the Western world today. And that sort of struck me, especially since we're talking about the gospel in John. The reason he says that it's ineffective, and by the way, I agree with him, most of Christianity is not growing in the West. In fact, it's receding. And his understanding of that is because the gospel as it's presented by Western churches is answering a question that nobody is asking. In the Western world, the emphasis of the gospel is on belief and forgiveness of sins. The problem is, in the Western world today, most people don't believe they're sinful. I mean, look at our culture today, where we have whole industries that are dedicated toward promoting and glorifying what the Bible says are sinful. So if you come to them and you preach that your sins can be forgiven, they sort of look at you like, what sins? Why do I care about that? So a gospel that preaches the forgiveness of sin is answering a question that nobody's asking. Hence, he says, that's ineffective. The other thing the gospel preaches in the West is salvation. Well, if you don't believe in hell, what's the point of salvation? So you have forgiveness of sins and salvation, which are the two major messages in Western Christianity, and we have a society now that is not particularly interested in those questions. Furthermore, one of the things that we have right now is an epidemic of suicide. There have been several celebrity suicides in the last few weeks. I don't know either of these people, so I can't really comment on their lives. But there's some celebrity chef that had a very popular TV program, very well respected, sort of at the height of his career, and he checked out. And there was some gal who was a fashion designer, and again, at the top of her game, at the height of her career, and she just checked out. If you have in our society people who are not interested in this life, what makes you think you can interest them in the next life? So again, Western Christianity is answering questions that nobody's asking. So what then should we be talking about to bring people to a knowledge of God. Reading a Jerusalem Post a day or two ago and ran across a Kabbalistic rabbi who's talking about the same subject. Like I say, you tell me something three, four times, I catch right on. You know, I'm just reading the Jerusalem Post, I'm reading a blog, I'm you know, not looking for this stuff, but everything seems to come back to this idea of the gospel and the meaning of life and why it is that we should be able to tell Western secular people about God in a way that is attractive to them. Because the message of forgiveness of sins and salvation isn't selling right now. Because you've got to have some awareness that you're sinful and that this is a problem in order for 
forgiveness to mean anything to you. So what is the thing that Western society is suffering from right now? And believe me, people are suffering. But they're not suffering from an awareness of their sinfulness. They're suffering from isolation, lack of connection, lack of anybody who cares for them. I mean, they're all walking around with their phones, and that's a symptom of wanting to connect with somebody, wanting somebody to care for, wanting somebody to care about, wanting somebody to care about them. That's the problem that modern society has not an awareness of their worthlessness and sinfulness and you have an angry God, that kind of thing, sort of the 19th century gospel message. That doesn't sell right now. So how do we reach those folks? I've said this before several times. It's sort of one of my themes, and I'm going to just quickly go back over it again. We are at the end right now of a theological project that began in the 16th century began about the time of Luther, and it's called modernity. And I will give you the Cliff Notes version of what modern is. Modern is autonomous individualism. In other words, the individual is the one who decides what law is for him. You know, it's true for me, it's not true for you. Anybody heard that? That's autonomy. In other words, the individual is sovereign. Moral relativism. Right and wrong depends on the circumstances and the people involved. There is no absolute standard. Narcissistic hedonism. The greatest good in life is feeling good. Me feeling good. And then finally, reductive naturalism, which is to say, the only thing that you know is true is that which you can observe with your senses. If you can't see it, hear it, touch it, taste it, or feel it, you don't know if it's true. And all of that goes directly against the Word of God, because what we believe is there are things that you cannot hear, taste, touch, feel, etc., that are true. That's the basis of why you're all sitting here, is that there's something that's true that you cannot observe with your physical senses. So we are at the end of a process that began about four or five hundred years ago, and it's now come to a head. And what that head is, is most people in this society don't believe in God, don't have a sense of personal sin because they are the authority unto themselves. I get to decide for me what's sinful. And the only thing that can stop me is superior force. In other words, I'm not stopped by an internal compass. I, I may be stopped because there's a cop there or something like that that makes me stop. And so I'll pay attention to that, but there's no internal compass. So a gospel that speaks to people who have been raised in that tradition and all it talks about is salvation and forgiveness of sin falls on deaf ears. It's answering a question that nobody's asking. So, now I'm going to go to my Mormon guy and what he suggested is instead of having a negative gospel which is salvation and forgiveness what you really want to talk about is a positive gospel. Now let's talk about belief and salvation. Reading another guy, Lebanese Christian, and he had something that was very profound. Belief is not an end in itself. What does any street preacher tell you? Believe in the Son of God, right? Well, belief is not an end in itself. Belief is something which is a prelude to action. 
In other words, if you believe something, then that means that what you believe should inform your action. You should be taking actions based on what you believe. If you just stop at belief, and belief never leads to action, then it becomes sterile. Same thing with salvation. Salvation is something that leads to something. The way most of Christianity presents it is salvation prevents you from going to hell. Well, if I'm not going to hell, then where am I going? And that's the question you ought to ask, not where am I not going, but where am I going? And one of the problems, again, with modernity is they have been taught this, what I will call hallmark card, vision of heaven where everybody sits around on their blessed assurance and oh God you're so great oh God you're well that sounds kind of boring especially if you are a hedonist where the only thing that's important to you is things that make you feel good sitting around on your blessed assurance for the rest of eternity just going oh God you're really great oh God that doesn't do anything for me I mean, it might do something for God, but for me. And if you're talking to people with the mindset of what's in it for me, that isn't very attractive. The problem is we are not, we, church, Christianity, are not reaching just a whole lot of people. And so the question is, how do we reach them? Well, that takes me to my Kabbalistic rabbi. <laughs> I found all these things just sort of independently. And what he says is the modern world, and he talks about modernity the same way I just described it to you, goes to great lengths to distract you from contemplating the meaning of life. All of these distractions that we have in our world are designed to keep you from thinking about anything eternal. Now, he says that the modern project is sort of coming to an end. It's, it's about 500 years and it's petering out now. And so what you're seeing is the ultimate end working of that, which is, you know, the LGBTQXYZ, you know, all of these acronyms for a sinful lifestyle. Those are all coming to the forefront and the top. All the froth is floating to the top here because we're coming to the end of an era. And one of the things that this era has done is it has solved the problem of survival. For much of human history, it was a really big deal coming up with enough to eat, preventing yourself from freezing to death, all those kinds of things. That was a big deal. And that was how the world distracted you from thinking about eternal stuff. If you're spending all of your days crawling around looking for something to eat, you didn't have a lot of time to contemplate God, which by the way is why God came to shepherds in the desert because there are no distractions in the desert and sheep don't talk very well. So you spend a lot of time out there in silence in nature and you've solved your food problem because you got a herd of sheep here. You do have time to contemplate things that are really important. So my Kabbalistic rabbi, he's not my rabbi, but it's the guy that I read, says that that problem has been solved. So those distractions are no longer available to the world to keep you from contemplating what's important. You don't have to spend most of your day 
scrubbing around for a living or weaving your own cloth so you don't freeze to death or hundreds of other things that you had to do in order to survive, if those are now gone, then it becomes harder for the world to distract you from what's truly important. So what the world now does is cell phones and the internet and all that kind of stuff. So instead of distracting you with survival, it is now distracting you with entertainment. But the goal is still the same, to keep you from thinking about the things that are important, to keep your attention focused on something besides God. And this rabbi's comment was, that isn't actually working very well. Because I led off with this, that we have this epidemic of people committing suicide, hopelessness, and all those kinds of things, and that leads you to think about, why am I here? Anybody remember who Frank Peretti was? He may still be alive. Very entertaining guy, uh, Christian writer. And I can remember a number of years ago, we went to a conference um, up in Aspen or someplace like that, and he did a stage thing which is humans are the only creatures that we know of that have a sense that there's something more to existence. And the thing he said is, anybody ever see a chicken? How much processing power does your average chicken have? They're not very bright. So the idea that this chicken is going along saying, why am I a chicken? What's it mean to be a chicken? What is the existential thing about being a chicken? Chickens don't think about that. They don't have the processing power for it. People do. And what the world tries to do is keep you distracted from thinking about that. But when you do think about that, then you have the beginning of the possibility of something beyond yourself. Because the idea of figuring out why you're here has no real survival benefit. Chickens live just fine without thinking about those things. Your dog lives just fine without thinking about existential things. The deer on the hills, they all exist and they live just fine without ever thinking about those questions. So the fact that we think about them is something about us that is fundamentally different from all of the other animals in creation. And the question is, why do we have that? Why does that exist? Because as I say, it has no evolutionary value. Apes and monkeys, they make little apes and monkeys and they keep going along and they're just fine without ever contemplating those questions. Why do we have that? And the answer to that is that's what allows us to break through the distraction. That nagging question of why? Why does all this exist? Why are we here? What is our purpose? Ah, wait a minute, wait a minute. Purpose. What is our purpose? Because people are designed to have a purpose. And the problem again with modernity, if your only purpose is self-enjoyment, then you very quickly come to the realization that that isn't enough of a purpose. That doesn't satisfy this itch that I have got. Being able to make my own decisions, having a better phone, a better computer, a better automobile, a better whatever, that doesn't satisfy that itch. 
And what you wind up having, especially with people like our chef I was talking about, is they realize, I don't have any purpose. I don't have any meaning. And so they check out. So, back to the gospel. What can you tell people like that to bring them around to an understanding of why they're here, at least according to what we understand? The phrase that the Kabbalistic rabbi said which I thought was just charming. There is somebody who delights in you. And the way we're designed, it starts off with a parent who delights in you. You ever seen a mother with a newborn baby? The mother delights in her child and the child reflects that delight back. That's why it's on all the greeting cards. It's really wonderful. So the idea that there's something that delights in you and the reason you were created is because there is something that delights in you is very powerful because it's wired into us it's built into us Kay was talking the other day and she made a comment that I had never thought about one of the things that cell phones do is break that connection because you'll get a mother talking to her child and the phone will go ding and she'll turn around and pay attention to the phone And what it's telling the child is the delight that my mother has in me is conditional depending on whether or not the phone goes ding. It's designed to interrupt this sense of delight. And the delight we have in each other is a mirror of the delight that God takes in us. So when we talk about salvation, we're not talking about salvation from hell. What we're talking about is salvation for We are saved for something, not from something. You're being saved for someone who delights in you. That's very powerful. And that's something that speaks directly to the alienation and suffering of the world today. Nobody cares about me. And I can try and fill that with casual sex. I can try and fill that with possessions. I can try and fill that with all sorts of things but I can't fill it. What I'm looking for is someone who delights in me. And what the scripture says is there is someone who delights in you and that's why he made you. Now, the other thing to understand is heaven is very, very different than what the Hallmark postcards would lead you to believe. Everybody sits around saying, oh, wow, God, you are really holy. Wow, you're really saying that for all eternity. It seems really boring. And we get that, by the way, from the elders that are around the throne and casting down their crown. But there's another vision of the world to come, which is also scriptural. And I will read it to you. It's in Revelation. Revelation 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamp. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there shall be no night there. So the first thing you should notice is there are nations, and there are kings, and they are out there doing stuff. They are not sitting around on infinite celestial bleachers. They're doing stuff. And they're bringing the glory of the nations into the city, the new Jerusalem, where Yeshua and God are. 
So there's stuff going on. And that's important for us because we're designed to do stuff. Why were we created? To tend the garden. We were created with a purpose. We got stuff to do. God gave us stuff to do. And that, by the way, is going to translate into the new heaven and the new earth. There's still going to be stuff to do. Let's go on. Verse 26. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So there's still stuff going on. So as you talk to people out there, of course, Forgiveness of sins and salvation is extremely important. I'm not suggesting that it is not. It's fundamental to who we are. But it's not fundamental to what they understand. What they want is connection. What they want is someone to care for them. What they want is stuff that means something to do. Sitting around in front of a video game is entertaining for a season, but ultimately it's empty. Everybody wants something meaningful to do, something important to do, someone who delights in them. And so I'm suggesting to you that as you go out and talk to your friends out there, sure, salvation and forgiveness of sins is important, but that's not what they're interested in. Talk to them about what they're interested in, because that's their also, and it's for them.